Nobody went to school for sales. Each of us has our own journey, a journey that ultimately reveals the two opposing forces, the art versus science, the relationships versus the metrics, selling versus sales. What side are you on? This is the Love Selling, Hate Sales podcast. Welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by Brian Kaplan, who is the former chief revenue officer at Andela and also the former GM of North America at Axiom Law. Brian, thank you for joining the show. It's great to have you. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. So, you know, when we were talking a little bit in show prep, you were giving me a burndown of some of the stops along your career and something stood out to me. You talked about a, a role early on as a player coach. And I similarly had that experience once in my career and it did not go well. So I want to get your thoughts and feedback on your experience. Is it viable? Can it work? Can it not work? Give me the, give me the rundown. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this, I'm dating myself here, but this was probably, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Uh, at, at the time, I think the player coach model was, um, you know, very in vogue and, and, and kind of, the natural career progression mm-hmm. for a top performer or even a not top performer. <laughs> um, uh, and so, and it was interesting. I worked for, for CEB, which is now part of Gartner. And I think they ended up being one of the driving forces that, um, you know, started to chip away or erode the, the kind of movement to a player coach. Cause they started doing a lot of research around what makes a top right sales leader, right? And in the attributes, which are generally different from what makes a top sales performer. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, this was in, in before that. And so, so like many, um, you know, of the top sales people at CEB, the natural progression was, hey, now take on a team of, I think it was about three, three or four okay. people was generally how they capped it out. But you maintained a pretty big number uh, yourself. Yeah. Um, and Look, I think for most player coaches there, the the classic conundrum and the classic outcome happened. Either the coach did really well and right. kind of sacrificed the team's development and performance for their own, right. or or vice versa, right? They they kind of you know missed their number by by a lot, but the team did well. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know it's funny. So I, I was successful in that role, but. I burned out, like, right. it, it, you know, ended up going to business school right after that, mostly because I was burning it on both ends, right? I was I was working, you know, Sundays from like three o'clock until 10 o'clock to prepare, right. you know, for my meetings for the week. And then Mondays were the one-on-ones with my team. And then we right. were, you know, it was a field sales team. So we were on the road. Oh, wow. You know, generally Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was like Mondays you prepped flew to wherever Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you were back in the office, kind of getting your follow-ups out, et cetera. So my weekends were my time to do my own prep for my meetings or follow-up. Right. And and the week itself was a lot for the team. I was joint traveling with a lot of them. So it was hard. So, so I, you know, I did that for maybe a year and then I was like, I'm exhausted. Um, and and I've been wanting to go back to school, and now it was like, well, now it's a great time to <laughs> go back because I don't know if I can do this much longer. So, you know, I and then you know, it, since later my career where I've where I've been in sales leadership roles, I've I've mostly done away with the player coach role. Right. Uh, you know, I've done one to one where I've had a high a hypo rep who has an interest mm-hmm. in becoming a manager, and I'll say take one person, right. 
Like, right. you know, you start with that. Let's see how you do. You know, you're going to still take a full number, but I'm not going to give you much more than that right. because right. something's going to, going to get sacrificed here. Um, and that's worked okay. I mean, it doesn't scale, right? You're not really sure. getting a ton of like management lift out of that, but it's more exactly. you test that for, you know, six months or so. If it's working well, great. You can say to that person, okay, now let's, let's go, let's go kind of all in here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, I am certainly of the, uh, of the experience and mindset that it just, it's really hard for that model to work and, and it has hard. not not put it in place when I've been in a position to make those decisions. Yeah. I think all the things that you outlined or challenges that I certainly struggled with when I was in the role at one point, one of the biggest things I really underestimated was the ability to manage up, you know, given that you're playing two roles and like, what hat am I wearing now when I'm talking to my boss, right? The sales leader above me. Did you ever run into that? Like that was something that just killed me. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny, right? Because um, at the end of the day, what should matter is, are you delivering the number that your team needs to deliver, right? right. Uh, but if if it's unbalanced, that sure. doesn't, you know, I think your boss is worried that some, you know, if the other, if it's unbalanced and then the team that is performing stops, then you're, then you're really in a tough spot. Um, so, so, so it was always a tricky kind of dance there around like, Hey, we're hitting we're hitting the numbers of the team, but here's how here's how we're getting to it. Um, uh, you know, where I tended to focus my time in managing up was was around the, the team, right. right? Because I knew that there would probably be times where I needed to prioritize my own client or meeting or opportunity, and I might need my boss to say, "Hey, can you join right. this meeting with so and so?" Um, and here's the areas of development for them. So I tended, you know, and, and you know, I was I was a successful individual contributor there, so needed right. support. So I tended to focus most of my like manager time, you know, on the team, so they felt well equipped to step in whenever I might need that help. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you know, that alone kind of leads to the rest of your career, right? Which seemed to take the leadership track more than the individual contributor track. What were the things that drew you down that path as opposed to maybe going back the other way? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly that the player coach experience as challenging and exhausting as it was. Um, I, you know, I started to get just generate a ton of um, um, enjoyment, pride, uh, uh, you know, fulfillment from seeing them succeed. Right. Right. I love, you know, I love closing deals. I love the win. Yeah. And I was just as excited when they were closing a deal that I was. So yeah, that's huge. You know, self, somewhat selfishly, it's like, well, you close more deals when you're managing a team, right? <laughs> They're performing. So there was part of that. Um, but I but I just, that. you know, I enjoyed the watching them develop and, and just felt like a natural um, kind of interest and ability in, in doing that. Um, uh, you know, I, I started to focus more on strategy, right? On sales strategy in terms of how does the process need to evolve, right? How do, you know, territory segmentation, like, you know, CEB gave their 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 player coaches, um, you know, a bit of like autonomy in some of that. Right. So I got a little taste of, of kind of the sales strategy, the sales ops side. Um, and, and I enjoyed that, uh, you know, going to business school rounded out just my overall, I think, Con, you know, confidence and understanding on how to run a business, how to run a team. Yeah. Um, and so, 
you know, you know, from that point on, I just felt like this is something I enjoy. It's something I'm good at. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and watching, you know, and, and then, you know, watching people develop in their careers and then, you know, recruiting them to come join me at my various stops along the way, you know, has been kind of the ultimate, you know, uh, a reward in many ways. Yeah. Different kind of network building, right? Yeah. Building that talent pool around you. Yeah. So looking at the resume here, it looks like there's a couple stops where companies are in that 45, $50 million range. And then they're looking to create some hockey stick movement, right? Start to scale. So when you step in as a sales leader at that size of company, what's your eye looking at? Like, how are you building for the now, but building that scale up and, and what are the first kind of chess pieces that you're moving on the board? Yeah. And it's funny, I think in both places, right. You, um, you, you can learn a lot in the interview process, but you don't learn everything. <laughs> sure. Um, so my the biggest thing I learned is like, be prepared to be surprised, right? All the things that were yeah. working great may not be working so great. <laughs> um, and that's fine. Um, you know, I, you know, certainly I think areas where I, I've, I've excelled, where I'm comfortable, where, and where I think you get the quickest and most immediate impact is around top of funnel, right? You know, especially if, if the company doesn't have uh, a really robust, you know, inbound engine, product-led, you know, motion, uh, if they're heavily reliant on outbound, that is ten that tends to be where I focus my time because I think it's the lowest hanging fruit okay. and and tends to be the thing that's probably the most uh, the most broken. So um, uh, in short, you know, really sitting down and understanding top of funnel talent, right? What is your SDR organization or BDR, whatever you might call it, mm-hmm. look like, right? What how does the AE SDR partnership and relationship there, right? How, you know, what does, what does that overall process look like? How are you attracting great talent into that function? You know, career development for that function, developing those folks, et cetera. So focusing on top of funnel um, uh, tends to be where I start because, you know, I've also found like you can hire the greatest account executives in the world and the large volume of them. But if the pipeline isn't there, right. what, are they um, doing? What, are they, what are they doing? Um, and, and so, um, but, it, but, you know, it's, it's easy to, to, um, build an SDR function, uh, meaning like hire, I think talent, the right talent, it's really hard to get it working really well and performing at quota yeah. month over month and then keeping those people. Um, and that's what I spent a lot of my time working on, you know, at the last two, two organizations that, that I've been at. Um, uh, so that's probably, you know, number, number one, um, uh, probably more recently has been enablement, right? I think enablement is an emerging uh, discipline inside revenue. I think, you know, I think it's arrived. I think most companies now realize, okay, we can hire all these great people, right? but how do you keep them great? How do you keep investing in them? Yep. Um, and technology is part of that for sure. But, you know, ongoing coaching, continuous education, continuous reinforcement, um, yeah, your sales coach managers should be doing a lot of that coaching, but a central enablement function that's keeping everyone sharp is really important. You know, I, at Andela, I hired a great uh, enablement leader who I brought over from Axiom, uh, and and you know quickly we invested there and grew that team from one to five people. Wow. Um, and uh, and it you know you don't necessarily see that right away. It's not like the SDR function where it's like oh we grew pipeline you know X percent in a month. 
um, it, it takes a little bit longer, but but in, you know the the impact is longer lasting. So enablement is probably the other big area that I look at. And then and as I alluded to earlier, tech stack, right? Do you have the right technology to run the business, right? And and it's funny, like uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were remarking how um, a lot of reps these days are making um, their own uh, decisions on companies to join based on tech stack. Tech stack, yeah. Yeah. Do you, you know, I expect to have, you know, the, whatever call recording platform they've used, right. Or whatever, you know, um, and data analytics platform they use to see how, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so you, you, as a, you know, hi- hiring manager or firm almost need to have a top tech stack, especially right now to attract and uh, hire great sales talent. So those are like the, probably the first three things that I, that I look at. Yeah, those are huge. And we could probably spend quite a bit of time on each one of them, but we'll, we'll start at the top. You know, we think about the top of the funnel, building out an SDR function and things like that. And I, my mind always goes to targeting, right? Like, how are we figuring out what our client profile looks like? What do those segments look like? And then who are the people that we're targeting? How does that process work for you when you're thinking about building out the SDR function? Yeah, well, I think it's um, it depends on the state of your marketing organization, right? And, and do you have a strong product marketing leader in place that can assist with some of that? Yeah, um, I think it depends on again your tech stack, right? Do you have the data uh, from your and from your RevOps team that kind of helps you make that decision around? The, the ideal customer profile, right? The the sales cycle at various different segments and in industry, yep. et cetera. You know, what's what does your net retention uh, uh, look like again at different sizes, industries, locations, et cetera, um, sales cycle. So um, you know, really relying on data to to kind of drive that understanding and assessment of your target customer over you know gut or or intuition, right? Um, uh, I think is 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 important. It's huge. Um, it's, it's huge, and and then aligning the talent that you have, you know, with those various segments. Um, I think especially at early stage startups, right? You may not have that luxury. Mm-hmm. You've got one sales org that's covering the entire territory in whatever market you're in, fine. But, you know, I think you have to, you know, pretty quickly realize, okay, if we want to grow this enterprise business, or if we want to grow this mid-market or SMB or whatever it might be, or this industry segment, we probably need to specialize pretty quickly because it's a different profile of seller. It's a different go-to-market strategy, sales cycle, comp plan, yada, 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 to really ensure we can win those customers in that in that segment, and and then you know certainly in in a SaaS business or or just you know product led business like is the is the product designed well for yeah, that? exactly Do we truly have product market fit across the board, right? Or is it truly just at for the enterprise buyer and so on? Uh, and having really strong partnerships with your again product marketing and product leaders to make that decision jointly is, is, is harder and takes some time, but also a really important process to go through. Yeah. I love that because, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, alignment between sales and marketing, but you don't always hear specifically product marketing called out. And I think that's a, a super critical piece, especially when it comes to getting the sales team ingrained in product market fit, what problems are we solving? How do we, you know, impact someone's business and things like that. I think it's a pretty, pretty big thing. And you also touched on 
the idea of kind of like the seller market fit, right? You got to hire people that could fit in and sell into that market. But even taking a step back from that, what are you looking for when you're hiring SDRs? Like, how do you know someone's going to be a, a functional SDR? Yeah. And look, I think you have, you're not going to bat a thousand, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. There's, there's, there's a little bit of trial and error here. Um, and, and I've tended to hire right out of undergrad, okay. not, not exclusively, you know, I've had some very successful SDRs come, you know, where they're, maybe it's their first or second foray or they're, they tried a career somewhere else and then they moved into that role. You can do that. But yeah. I think to hire at scale, um, uh, hiring right from undergrad, hiring in classes. Mm-hmm. So they onboard together is really important. Right, you you learning from one another, having that benchmark as well, right? So at, at Axiom in particular, we 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 nailed this, I think, really well, right? We um we 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 had a summer intern program where awesome. we would actually take college interns and tr- put them through a rapid fire training program. Mm-hmm. It was two weeks of onboarding, and then they were hitting the phones, wow. and they had a they had a number, um, and at the end of the summer, um they either got a job offer or didn't. And so and we had a pretty good conversion rate. And I think at its biggest, there was maybe six, six interns, seven interns each summer. Wow. Pretty good. Like, you know, I think it was maybe about an 80% acceptance rate. So we already had the start of the next summer's class. And then we would fill that in with just on-campus recruiting, um, you know, th- throughout the fall. This is obviously pre-COVID days, but mm-hmm. but but can still work virtually. Sure. Um, and we would backfill across the year as needed. But but each summer we would have a couple classes that would start together, um, which I think just really helped accelerate their onboarding, their ramp, um, their learning, and and helped us, you know, calibrate quite easily how folks were doing against one another. Um, what, what do we look for? Um, we wanted people who were excited about a career in sales, right? I think we learned our lesson the hard way. We, we would, you know, we would hire folks and originally be like, yeah, I'm interested in sales, but I'm not quite sure. I may want to do this. I want to do that. But this, you know, this sounds like uh, an interesting idea. And, and they were, they were super smart, you know, great athletes. We were like, all right, sure. well, failed always, right? They would get in get hung up on, on like call number two. And they're like, all right, maybe this isn't really, maybe this isn't for me. So people who have, you know, not to say that your career aspirations can't change, but coming out like are really excited about a potential career in sales, the growth that comes with that, the rewards that come with that, I think is important. Um, Looking for, for folks who um, are resilient, um, shown, you know, in, in undergrad, that you know they can weather adversity you know maybe that was you know through sports or maybe that's through some other life experience but you know this this is a a role where you know if you you know if if you're if you're successful right you convert like you know 10% of the the calls yeah, you it's make like baseball yeah exactly right so yeah. you got to be able to deal with some adversity you got to be super resilient um uh and uh, and and you know testing for that is hard but um, but that, you know, found that to be really, really, uh, Im- important, um, you know, certainly, uh, high IQ and EQ, um, competitive, um, uh, uh, and then, you know, great partners and collaborators, right? If you're a really strong SDR, 
you have built a really strong partnership with your account executive or account executives, right? So you, you, you have that ability to work with a variety of different types of personalities um, and, and are kind of, you know, excited about the kind of, you know, team's success. So those are, you know, a handful of the things that, that we would, we would look for. And we, and we, you know, we cast a, we tried to cast a pretty wide net in terms of where we yeah. would from, from a university perspective or, um, uh, increasingly, you know, you know, or occasionally folks who, you know, you know, were a couple of years out of, out of school. Awesome. So th- then taking the, you know, the talent into the enablement of the talent and going to your second point there, um, where do you typically start? Um, you have a background in challenger sale, obviously. Um, you do, do you build scripts? Do you build, call? I mean, what, what are the kind of those first pieces of the puzzle that you're putting into place to give someone the confidence as you know, confidence is king in sales to, to be able to make those calls and take that rejection? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time really revising, uh, and, and, and refining the SDR playbook. Right. So it was, you know, it was, I think at its final and its final iteration was about an eight week program, right. With, with just very regimented week by week, um, training, uh, you know, mock scheduling, you know, uh, uh, you know, it was like, and, they, and we just kind of gave them more and more. It was almost like a, you know, like training camp in, in like a sport where like you gave them more and more. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a physical playbook. It was a like, you know, PowerPoint, you know, Word document. I can't remember that we would give them on day one, like you will follow this and we were going to take you through this. And that includes, you know, scripts and yep. You know, sample emails, a lot of the tech, you know, training on the various tech uh, materials. And, and so there were checkpoints along the way. And, and that's, you know, most of that now has moved online. And so, sure. you know, the various uh, training and enablement platforms that exist, I think, uh, I think we used Showpad most Showpad. recently. Um, so all that, you know, now you can see how is this person doing and how are yeah. they doing against their peers? And, you know, it's pretty, it's, you know, it used to be all, you know, offline and, and manual. And now anyone can really go in at any point and see that. So, um, you know, it's it's a pretty regimented process that and we're iterating on it, you know, constantly, right? Kind of looking at each class of SDRs to see how well do they onboard, who hits quota, how quickly, and asking for feedback, right? What did you like about the onboarding? What could have been better, um, et cetera. So it's, you're never done by any means. And as you expand into new customer segments or have new product offering, right? You have to, you know, update and and revise the, the playbook. Yeah. I mean, you hit on one of the things that often, frankly, we find and I find is one of the biggest missing gaps between making technology work for an organization. You know, you said we had this playbook and we operationalized it in something like a show pad, right? Like oftentimes technology, it seems to me gets purchased, plugged in, and then that's it, right? And then they wonder why it doesn't work. So even that idea of building something that gets that needs to then be operationalized in a piece of technology is huge. And, you know, that I think is why it was successful. Yeah, and obviously you need an owner to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to manage it and maintain it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, it's wild to think that you spend all this money on a piece of technology and then you actually don't put it to use, but it happens. Uh, it more does, than you uh, think. I know it does happen and you act, you know, you need an owner who's accountable for, uh, uh for doing that. So, um, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So in, in my world, I sell mostly to marketers and some sales leaders, but marketers, I know, love them some tech stack and they, you know, they'll, they'll talk about tech stack and go on it forever. How is that in the sales world? What's a best in class tech stack look like? Do they love it? Do they hate it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm qualified enough to say what best in class looks like. I can tell you like the things that I think are pretty important uh, sure. and, and, and what reps are looking for. And I'll say, the, the, the world of sales tech has never been more crowded mm. and in some cases confusing. I mean, <laughs> CRO, I would probably get on average 15 emails a week pitching me something. Something new, um, yeah. And, you know, some of them were new and some of them were repeat, but um, it was dizzying, right? Even I had a hard time, like, what, what, you know, how does this differ from that, et cetera? Uh, and that'll, that'll, I'm sure, uh, uh, kind of settle, settle down over time, but, um, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, uh, but, but, you know, certainly as I think about, um, you know, uh, what the important components of mm-hmm. a tech stack, I mean, obviously CRM goes without saying, mm-hmm. um, uh, but, you know, starting at top of funnel, you know, uh, a, a tool to help manage your, your electronic communication, right? Email, social, et cetera, right? You've got your marketing automation platforms. I've used HubSpot, I've used Marketo. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends on, you know, w- which one your marketing team prefers and sure. you know, maybe a bit on your customer segment. Um, uh, the sales cadence software, I've had a love-hate relationship with, <laughs> right? I think um, in some cases, I think it makes SDRs or can can help them be a bit lazy, right? Because mm-hmm. your machine tell you what to do. Totally. Uh, but I think a lot of that um, is with the setup and the design. If set up and designed poorly, that happens. If set up and designed well and maintained, um, it can be a really powerful, a powerful platform. And I think to my point on, you know, what is, uh, what are, are, you know, SDRs and he's looking for, they're going to expect, you know, some type of, of platform to help manage their, their cadence. Um, I think prospecting data is a must, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you zoom info, um, uh, two different, uh, 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 companies now, um, Obviously, everyone has their favorite, and, and sometimes you need multiple depending on your segment, right? We used a, yeah. a lead IQ for SMB because Zoom Info yep. was less strong there. So, if you're playing in different segments, you might need multiple providers there. Zoom Info is um, also buying everybody now. So. They are, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We we uh, we had this chat bot uh, on our website. Um, we used to use Drift, and then we moved to a company called Incent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Zoom Info bought them. So, so now we're yeah. now it's like you know customers of like three Zoom Info. Uh, yeah, exactly. Acquisitions uh, default. So good for them. Um, uh, um, um, you know, you uh, uh, auto dial call dialers. Um, I think you know, especially if you are a believer in the phone as being the most important piece of sales technology, which I, yeah. which I am. Um, you know, I'm not not one that I'm. Partial to over the other, but but an auto dialer, I think, increasingly becoming important as the phone reemerges as sure. you know, a key tool in, in an SDR's uh, SDR's day. Um, uh, you know, certainly a platform for AEs to kind of review their performance. You know, a BI tool. You know, whether that's a Looker or an Inside Squared or some of the others that are out there. Um, uh, when we were leaving, when I was leaving Andela, we had just um, started to implement um, Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Um, for ABM um, and just started to see some of the value coming from that, especially for 
um, our SMB clients where, you know, I think we, we probably needed a bit more intel on like who's actually yeah. ready to buy or close to buying. So we hadn't seen the impact just yet because the implementation was just about to go live, but we were excited about um, what they could what they could bring to the table. Um, we've uh, I've used comp calculators and comp tools mm-hmm. um, over, over the years. Like spiffs and things like that. Spiff and exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I think those are helpful. Um, uh, uh, I think a lot of that depends on the design of your comp plan. Um, we made a yeah. change to our comp tool, to our comp plan, and then uh, the tool that we were using became uh, less relevant. So that one, I think, is very much linked to to your to your comp design. Um, and then um, we uh, I, both, I was at one of the first customers of Troops. Uh, and then brought them into Andela, um, you know, to really automate a lot of uh, alerts in in Slack, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's a new meeting announcement, a new opportunity, a sales stage, an alert, all that kind of stuff. Um, visibility. Troops, yeah, just bringing yeah. more visibility uh, into what's actually you know happening in your in your pipeline and in your in your in your funnel. Um, uh, troops was you know it's pretty pretty easy to implement. Um, and was a, a big part there. And then I mentioned before um, uh, uh, Showpad mm-hmm. uh, uh, for enablement, onboarding, training, et cetera. All of our content um, was uh, was really useful. Uh, and then finally, we we just started, uh, we just went live with Speckit. Um, I'm like, not familiar I, with that one. The guided selling, it kind of like as you're starting to, um, uh, if you make a lot of changes in your sales process or in Salesforce, it's almost like remind sellers kind of fields that need to be filled out. What's required here. It's kind of a, uh, insight guide. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Uh, exactly. Um, we had just gone live with, uh, with Salesforce CPQ and there was a lot of changes to the whole kind of quote to cash process. So, Got it. um, using a tool like spec, it kind of, uh, fast cycles some of the learning. Very cool. And did you use any sort of like uh, call recording or things like that? We did, yeah. Sorry, good. it's a good one. Uh, we did. We used Gong. Um, Gong, yeah. Uh, and that was, um, I mean, in a remote and distributed world, I mean, you have to, right? That is like yeah. how you train, how That's you. That's a great way to get them. feedback. Yeah, having the library of recordings. I know, you know, they've been investing a lot in their AI in terms of providing you as a leader with insights on you know, what a successful call looks like, what kind of terms and words are being used or not being used um, and starting to, to deliver some alerts uh, to, to yeah. men. So, so yeah, so we use Gong at, uh, at Andela um, uh, and, and, you know, very valuable tool. Yeah. I had Roy Renani on, who's one of the co-founders of Chorus, who is a con competitor. Yep. And just listening to him talk about some of the things they do internally with their own sales organization was just unbelievable. I mean, oh yeah. It was yeah. I was just blown away how 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 cool it was. Right. And they were just bought by Zoom Info, right? They were just they yeah. were just yeah. Part of the yeah, part of the bring it full cycle. Yeah, Yeah, and another couple comments just on some of the things you said. You mentioned your kind of love hate with the cadencing softwares. I totally get that. I had a couple of interesting guests on um, Justin Michael at one point and Jake Dunlap, and both of them had some pretty strong opinions on on the cadencing stuff. I know Justin's real big on not as much about like the explicit content that goes in there, but creating the cadence the software as a shell for the things you should be doing. And then you need to use your own human creativity to like pepper in yeah. around those activities. So I thought that was interesting. And then I know Jake is just huge on testing, right? Like 
test, 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 do two of everything, four of everything, get the best result and go. So I, I do think that they can make people lazy and it can just become a batch and blast. Like Marketo can become a batch and blast if you don't use it right. Um, but if you're really thinking through it, it can be powerful stuff for sure. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, what is one thing you want to leave the audience with today? Oh, wow. Um, I, th- I think, uh, it's n- probably, I think never been a better time to be in sales. Uh, you know, we can now, um, deli- do our jobs, um, remotely. That said, I still think nothing replaces shaking the hand of a prospect or a yep. customer. Uh, but, but you now can create, you know, you can start a relationship on, on zoom, uh, and then, you know, close the deal in person or advance it in person, right? Back in the day, you were flying around the world um, trying to meet people, um, uh, uh, you know, even early stage. Um, the tech that you have, you know, hopefully at your disposal, yeah. just a much more informed seller. Um, uh, um, but um, I think as a result of that, your customers are going to expect more. Right. right. You know, expect you to know a lot more about uh, your product and uh, and and about your service, but um, it's never been a better time to be in sales. And I think what we're starting to see as well are a new crop of leaders at businesses who started in sales. Right. Mm-hmm. Not just CROs, COOs, CEOs, mm-hmm. etc who grew up in the organization in go-to-market functions and are now growing into, you know, actually leading those organizations. So um, I, I, it's, you know, it's a profession that I've always been a proud to be a part of. And I think if you're early on in your career, um, you should have the confidence, faith that, you know, if you, if you continue to master your craft and it's, you know, it is something that requires continuous training and investment and practice, et cetera, um, it's going to open up a lot of doors for you down the road, not just some li- the same linear career path uh, to you know head of sales or CRO, whatever it might be. That, that is very exciting. I, I agree with you. I, I think the career pathing for sales has been left a lot to be desired in in the past, and just to hear you say that is super exciting. So yeah. thank thank you for that. Where should people go to find you? LinkedIn is that the best place? LinkedIn is great. Um, I'm pretty active there, so you can connect with me, send me a message, um, and uh, and we can talk from there. Yeah, All right. And it's B R Y A N people. B R Y A N. I blame my mother for yeah. me having to point that out. Uh, you know, every time it's my name uh, and Kaplan with a C. All right, Brian. Thanks for joining the show. It's awesome to have you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Josh. It was a pleasure.